Welcome to Girl Flower Podcast with Zik and Jess. We will be having conversations and inspirational chinwags with florists and growers to keep you company in your workspaces, in the car, over a cuppa or wherever you like to listen. We hope to help you along on your own floral journey. So this is the final episode in this series. Don't worry, we will be back soon. While we're having a break, we will be recording away. Um, I can't even get my words out properly because this week we have been talking with the amazing Simon Lysett. Honestly, we we are thrilled to bring this episode to you. He is such a true star, a real gentleman, so articulate and oh yeah, just every everything about him. We've we've been fans of his for such a long time. So to get to speak to him was a joy. Um, yeah, thank you, Simon. And I know all of you are going to enjoy this episode so much. He's got wonderful advice. Uh, yeah, so I'm not going to speak anymore. Enjoy the episode. Hello. Hello. How are you? We are very well. How are you? I'm very well, thank. you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are so excited that you have agreed to come on to the podcast. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, we're feeling slightly nervous, Simon, especially after reading your biography and been watching you on, I've got to get it right, on Full Bloom as well. So um, my children came into the room last night as I was finishing watching the final episode and they were like, why are you watching this now? And I said, because I'm interviewing this man, Simon, tomorrow. And they were like, oh, he's famous. <laughs> Are you enjoying Full Bloom? Yes, but no spoilers because I'm only on episode five. Okay. You know what? I've series linked it all, and then um, then I only went up to series five, and then I'm like, where is it? Where is it gone? But there was a scheduling change, so I hear they, they switched the scheduling. But it's now you can download and watch it on all four on demand as well. that's that's what I did and I've been binge watching it and my my daughter who's 10 she's been enjoying it as well Um, I mean it's very it's very gentle and Mm. it's nice to see flowers being given a a platform where you know florists are incredible artists and I've been saying for years that that we should be able to see more of what they do so it's great that HBO have given us a, a bit of a showcase yeah, definitely. And I and I so was it last year or the year before when the um the the big flower fight came out and you were guest on on that one as well. But it was it wasn't as floral as I thought it was going to be. It was a lot of plants and a lot of sculpture whereas yeah. you know the the full bloom is very floristry based and we were really pleased to see that. Yeah, I thought that I- The Netflix one, I mean, I was involved in that from quite early on. And at one point I was going to host it, um, but then they changed it and wanted an American host. And at one point they had two hosts, so it all became quite convoluted. Um, And also it suddenly switched from being a real flower centric program to being much more about plants. um, And I felt that each of the projects ended up looking quite samey because it was a metal frame that they hadn't Mm. even had a great deal of involvement in creating and then just strapping plants all over it. So Mm. it all became about whether you can balance them or not. 
Yeah, it's more sculptural, like floor, like plant sculpture than forestry. Yeah, yeah so we were just uh, hoping that maybe the full bloom would come to the UK and do a UK one. And we were saying how different it would be because the American one's been very, they, they all love each other and there's lots of tears and there's lots of hugging and there's all the backstory and the personal thing, which you get totally caught up in. But I think in, um, I think the British one, you know, stiff British upper lip and all that, I think it would be very different. Well, season two, because we filmed season two in March and April of this year, and ah. it's dropped now in America. Um, and actually, it's a slightly different dynamic because, of course, the contestants know what they're letting themselves in for now, yeah. don't they? So there's yeah. slightly, I would argue, possibly a little less camaraderie between our florists in season two and also when we filmed season one we started in February of last year and then had to stop when the pandemic hit so we then refilmed again in July and August so all the contestants had had that sort of March, April, May, June of messaging one another and bonding without being with one another so when they rejoined we were all just so grateful that we were able to make the show show and yeah. so they were all really close yeah. that's really interesting as well because I felt like there was a bit and I can't remember exactly where but where they all just stepped it up and that must have been they'd had a break and they'd had time to think about it and when they came back they they were they were in weren't they they were totally yeah. in it by season three we filmed one and two we still filmed episodes one and two and half of episode three um so there was a, an awful cliffhanger with one of the Floris potentially going home for five months. Oh. In the end, we started from scratch again. So they were able to use those two episodes as a sort of trial run. But what was uh. quite interesting was those that mucked up their initial challenges still did pretty much the same oh. as their others. That's oh. quite so, so that stepping up bit that I just mentioned wasn't anything to do with the pandemic. It was obviously they just finally found their stride they just got into it it's quite interesting how and again it happened in season two how after a while because the other thing is that they are given such an abundance of flowers Mm. I mean they have tens of thousands of dollars worth of flowers for each especially the teen challenges and I know from bits of tv that I've done in the past sort of 20 years if you give florists a huge quantity of flowers and they're not used to working with them it becomes quite difficult for them. It takes them a really long time to get their head around it because, you know, it's hard work being a florist. You normally are trying to make 40 quids worth of flowers look like 60 quid. Mm. And so suddenly to say, there's no budget, have as many flowers as you want, fill your boots, use them all. A lot of them find that quite panicking for quite a while. God, I can imagine. You would, Vic, wouldn't you? Oh, dear. Yes, I would. I would. <laughs> but there's, the thing is, is what, what I got from it is just the, the ability for these, these people to think on their feet. I mean, it's mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And Jess was mentioning, she was like, if they did a UK one, it'd be good to see you on there, Vic. And I was like, I just, that would not, you know, I need a bit of time for planning. But was it as, as quick-paced as that? So you would literally give them a brief and they would have to just crack on straight away 
Yeah, they get given a tiny bit of notice mm. of uh, what challenges might happen mm. um, so they can prepare themselves a bit. And for the team challenges, they're given a little bit of thinking time because you do want them, you know, we want to put them up for success every time. Mm. But I mean, I think it's one of the things that florists are brilliant at is being able to turn on a sixpence and suddenly mm. you we all know what it's like you arrive to deliver the wedding flowers and suddenly they put two more tables in and no one remembered to tell you mm. all the you know your clients parked on the double yellow line standing over you as you want to as they're making a decision and you have to make a tide bunch quickly you know, all of those things are what florists do on a daily basis and the contestants in full bloom are all practiced, competent florists that work for other companies or have their own small businesses. So it's just great for them to, to get a chance to really go wild. Gosh. Yeah. And they did go wild and I enjoyed it and was completely impressed by everything. And I know Vic's not seen it, but that last... Yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers, please. But that last mm. challenge when they were filming it, mm. I felt quite emotional. I was like imagining myself being there and yeah they, they did it very very was, well it was very emotional I mean it's season two was even more emotional certainly for me I think um season one started and then I got back to the UK and suddenly you know I was writing redundancy notices to staff that had worked with me for 20 years whilst I was out in LA and then came back to the UK um, and it was a hideous time. So going out and filming season two felt like a relief and a release. Mm. Um, season two was, was you know, we've now lived in this situation where no work for a lot of us for a long, long time. Mm. So it all felt... Yeah, season two is very emotional. And um, when can we expect to get that over here in the UK? Well, I don't know. I mean, let's hope that season one's been popular enough for it to oh, be really brought hope. over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to sit on the BBC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the best. Um, so I feel like we've gone right in at the at your current career. Um, well, part of it anyway. So can I take you back to the beginning? Because, Simon, you really are like a national treasure and, and, an, and an international treasure. You are floral royalty, florist to the stars, all round superstar. We are in awe of you completely. Um, and can you tell us where your love for flowers all started and how you first came into the industry? I can, but first of all, I have to say I am just a florist like everyone else. I'm really lucky. I've had some great opportunities. I'm a bit of a show off. But, you know, everybody up and down the country, that florists work so hard throughout the country, throughout the world. And it's just great that if I'm given the opportunity to give a bit of a showcase and a voice to the incredible artists that are out there, I'm very, very happy to do it. In the same way that you guys do with your brilliant podcast, it's just nice to be able to share. And it's really satisfying, I find, to be able to share all the incredible talent that happens. You know, I mean, we are so awestruck about chefs and bakers and potters and sewing but we all know that there are amazing, amazing craftsmen and women up and down the country that work really, really hard. Often you're a one woman, one man band running a flower shop, especially over the past 18 months. And to be making money and to be making beauty and delivering it is tough. So it, it's just great to be able to be a bit of a voice for those people. And I love it. 
Mm, you do it very well. Thank you. <laughs> so have you, so we were, we were looking, so you kind of, your beginnings were, you know, you were thrown into the forefront with four weddings and a funeral flowers, but what, where, where were you before that? When did you start floristry? So I went to a, so I was born and brought up in Warwick, um, where my parents still live. And at the age of seven, for some reason, they took me to the local park, which we never really did. It was a bank holiday weekend. We went to the local park and there was a big old marquee in there. And I badgered my mum to be allowed to go in. And it was the local town horticultural and allotment society annual show which was affiliated to the rhs and so was judged with proper rhs rulings and there were you know massive vegetables and fruit cakes and wine and all that stuff and then i was captivated by the kids section which was the miniature poses the miniature gardens made in a seed tray the arrangement made to interpret your favorite book and then the floral art that was also there which were all the sort of grand dams of Warwickshire arranging their uh, flowers in their finest cut glass vase and bringing it in and it just I was I sort of felt I'd found my people in my tribe and that smell and feeling of being in a marquee with that filtered light and that smell of vegetation and damp and plants and all those people that are so passionate about flowers and plants was absolutely just struck me to my core and it's something that ever since then I've known I have wanted to work with flowers and I'm now 54 and I'm lucky enough to say that I'm still working with flowers. I love that so after this um this wonderful trip and that that kicked off the inspiration for your for your long career how did you um take the journey to into becoming a florist there was a neighbor of my parents norma who lived next door but two and she still lives next door but two and she used to teach floristry city and guilds and she also did weddings for friends and family and used her garage as a workroom so from the age of seven i would go and sit at her side on a friday evening and learn how to wire so it was a proper old school apprenticeship but i was seven eight nine and ten and it was fascinating watching her work and it was all the old-fashioned wiring techniques in those days we used to pin roses so that they didn't blow open we did everything you know pipped and feathered carnations and hyacinths and all that proper old school floristry stuff that I still adore and I learned at her side and then I would get books from the library and devour them and used to use bits of flowers out of the garden I mean my dad's an amazing was an an incredible engineer my mum's an great sower and maker of things but they weren't passionate gardeners but I was lucky that there were neighbours who were into gardens and flowers who nurtured that interest in me. Um, I did a wedding for friends of my parents when I was 14. I did my first wedding then creating bridal and table arrangements and everything Um, and then we had friends of my parents lived in York and I knew that there was someone who did flower arranging, a man who did flower arranging, lived down the road from them in Heslington in New York. And that was George Smith of Nafas fame. And so I contacted him and he very kindly said, oh, well, next time you're in York, come and visit me. And he took me under his wing and was really kind. And so it really was the support and nurturing of other people together with um, a real passion and a drive. 
And I was at an all boys school in the 70s and 80s doing flowers. You can imagine the bullying was pretty stringent, mm. pretty constant. Um, but I was asked to arrange the flowers for the school rugby club centenary dinner. And then there would be, you know, in Valentine and Mother's Day, some of the boys would ask me to arrange flowers. So gradually, gradually, I got known for doing it. Got a whole load of leg pulling and teasing and my parents had paid for my education. So they wanted to see more than a mere florist in their words for their money. So I agreed and went and did a year of a humanities degree at Huddersfield Polytechnic and which is now I think the University of West Yorkshire and then I said that was great but I still want to be a florist so I went to work in London thinking I'll work there for six months and go back to Warwick and then open my business and I've yet to get back to Warwick and <laughs> business I'm still in London. Wow. Did you, so when you were you were starting so when you got to London and you obviously loved it did the work just keep on coming in? Is that why you stayed? Were you were you able to kind of keep on um, finding work and new opportunities? It was it was the scale of work. It was the type of work. I came to London in the late eighties, and I was really lucky. I worked for a florist who's now sadly dead, called Robert Day, who had a business in the Pimlico Road, and he was one of the. There was Ken Turner and Robert Day in those mm-hmm. days, together with Pulbrook and Goulds, with the sort of three iconic flower shops. Lady Diana used to buy her knickers in the shop opposite, <laughs> and the paparazzi would follow her and you'd hear all this screech of motorcycles and know that she'd gone into the shop opposite to buy some undies. And then you'd hear the ting on the bell and she would come into the shop and, you know, clients thought nothing of sending their pilot in to collect flowers to fly to their house in the south of France for lunch. It was proper, decadent, conspicuous consumerism. And I'd come from Warwick where a £10 arrangement was a decent order. And these were clients that were spending, they would think nothing of sending a £500 bowl of Lily of the Valley to thank someone for lunch or to look forward to having dinner with them that evening. So it was just another world. That sounds so exciting. Oh, it does. It sounds and amazing. I'd been, London, I'd been to London once before in my entire life before I got my came up for my interview and then came up to, to work in London. So yeah, it was a totally different. I'm well, a bit gobsmacked about so it. So am I. Yeah. So I'm gobsmacked about it now. And you know, we <laughs> we, we 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 have more understanding of, of how much money people can spend on flowers now. But just imagining you coming into into London and seeing and witnessing all of that. That excitement around, you know, the, the, this decadent luxury market, that that obviously that was something you wanted for yourself, I imagine. So you when you were thinking about how you might develop as an artist and potentially as a business owner, was the sky always going to be the limit for you? Were you did you always plan to work towards those big events and these high end client base? I didn't ever plan it, but I've never really planned anything to do with my Mm. business. It's always just evolved and become what it is. Um, I loved doing ridiculous. I loved doing outrageous. I've always wanted to do something different. I remember managing the local flower shop in Warwick during school holidays and um, and in the gap year I took out before I went to university, I ran it for a couple of weeks whilst the owner was away on holiday. And loads of people would ring up and say, oh, my God, I really love what you've been doing. And I was just basically using the leaves of some 
half-dead houseplants within the arrangements. And what I did suddenly people noticed as being different. Mm. And that gave me validation quite early on, together with just doing stuff and enjoying it, instinctively arranging things and feeling that I liked what I was creating. That gave me enough validation to have the courage to just do what I did. And then I was really lucky to discover that people were happy to start and pay for it. And so when did Simon Lysett, the business begin? When did you make the move to, to being your, your own boss? That was in 1993. Um, I took my first unit, which was literally a broom cupboard. Um, with a tiny mezzanine up above and everything had to be piled in for the doors to be locked and then before I could do anything everything had to be got <laughs> out into the corridor it was one of those great sort of there used to be amazing places all around London especially South London that had been old factories that had been divided up into sort of units where lots of different people would work and you could rent somewhere on a month by month basis it wasn't expensive um, but at the time, it felt like the most enormous investment because you had to sort of sign a six-month contract and then you had to equip it. Um, and I I'd worked out the back of my Ford Fiesta for years. I mean, when I did, the, I was lucky enough to do the flowers on four weddings and a funeral. Um, and I did that from working out of the back of my car and from a prop van. I had no work premises at all at that day. Wow. How did that, you, how, yeah, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. How, how did you get that for Weddings and a Funeral gig? I had started, I'd been working, I'd worked for Robert Day and then I'd gone to work for Pulbrook and Goulds who were the iconic, fabulous fresh flower mm. shop at the time they were on Sloan Street. And I was between finishing there and thinking I was going to become a freelance florist. And I was asked to arrange flowers for a memorial service. Someone I knew worked in the film industry in a hire company and someone had died who owned a hire company and all the people in the film industry had clubbed together and bought a whole load of lilies and they needed someone to go and arrange them in a church. So I went to arrange them in the church and as I was there doing it, there was a lady fiddling around with candles and things and she said to me, she was standing watching and she said, oh, I'd love to do what you do. And I said, what do you do? And she said, I do styling on television commercials and films. And I said, oh God, I'd love to do that. And she said, oh, would you? I need some flowers on a commercial next week. And it was in that era when all the sort of, all those beautiful Zeffirelli and Merchant Ivory films were happening, The Wings of a Dove, Where Angels Fear to to tread room with a view all those beautiful films and that was the genre of the adverts at the time so I went along and there was quite a lot of attention paid to flowers and how they looked so I was given a sort of week's work to research flowers that were correct for the period and I just loved it and so I ended up doing quite a lot of flowers for her on films and television commercials and got known for doing it and then I did a commercial with for Flymo and it was like a mini film. It was six weeks in a studio and we built a garden and they had animatronic plants and it mm. was the garden lends a hand was the title. And the plants had all been made by Henson's Creature Shop who make the Muppets. Oh. So I got to know those guys. And then sadly, Jim Henson died very suddenly. And I was asked to do the flowers for his funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral. And he used to live near Hampstead Heath. So we turfed and it was in St Paul's Cathedral so we turfed the aisles and did park benches and foxgloves and trees mm. and 
they and Big Bird walked down the aisle and it was amazing. And one of the people that was one of his producers was a man called Duncan Kenworthy, who found work, founded Working Titles. And when they were making four weddings and a funeral, he said, if you need anybody to talk to about flowers, you should get Simon in. So I was really lucky. I was asked to go and have a meeting potentially about doing one of the weddings and ended up doing it more and the funeral. Absolutely incredible. And I was only watching it a few weeks ago. And did, did and you spot me? Because I'm in it. I didn't spot you. No. Oh, how amazing. So you got yourself a little cameo. They have a florist. So Hugh Grant is late for anyone that's not seen the film. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> and Hugh Grant is always late for everything. So on the day of his wedding, which is the final wedding, they set all the clocks early and he barges past a florist arriving <sighs> at the church. And that florist is me. But I had a ponytail and you only see the back of me in those days. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have clocked you with a ponytail, you see. I definitely wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I'm going to watch that. I'm Me too. Find you. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Gosh, so your floristry really has been kind of being in the right place at the right time. So early on, it was it was the um, the nurturing of, of Norma. Was that your next door yes. to yep. neighbour? And then it's being just in the right place. And, and then once you, I suppose, once you've made that connection on a, on a movie that was such a hit then it's kind of like things I suppose then just started rolling in yeah they did and it was in a world before social media as well mm. so word of mouth was the thing and also I've nearly always never said no to anything especially in the early times and I've always that's always my advice to you know I often get approached by students and school leavers and people that are passionate about getting into floristry and I say you have to have an innate love of plant material an innate love of putting it together of creating and then you just have to be absolutely diligent and determined and just keep on keep on keep on because for a long, long time, all of us that are florists know that we work for really hard, it's hard work for little reward. And even now, you know, it's hard to make proper decent money when you work out the hours involved and the amount of effort that's made. And so you just have to have a real streak of dedication. Mm. And I was lucky that I had that. And I'm also just bloody dogged and determined. Mm. It's a different kind of reward, isn't it? Sometimes the financial rewards don't seem to add up. You know, sometimes they do. But I, it's the, the reward when you see the venue like all decorated and you see the, the client's face or, and you, or you get your, the, the feedback from people. That's the reward. That's why we do it. And all of the stress and sleepless nights and maybe some of the tears you've had before just kind of fritter away and you don't yeah. think about them again, do you? It, it is very, very re rewarding in that sense. But yeah, I'm never going to be able to buy my country mansion. Yeah. <laughs> but also... It's the people that you rub alongside. It's the people that you work with. I mean, my team are amazing. All the creatives that I work with across the different production, all those different industries are just extraordinary. And that's what I love and what I celebrate mm. is just being immersed in a, a world of such incredible creative brains. Mm. Could we talk a little bit about your team mm. and, how, and how you're kind of structured now? So pre-pandemic, there were 14 of us, and now there are six of us, sadly, but hopefully, and actually we're really busy this week with events, and 
one of the team that gallantly retired so I didn't have to make a redundant is back in the workroom today so that was quite Amazing. emotional um, so it's great we are getting the team back slowly it's really hard to look and see what the future holds um, the reason there were 14 of us here was because we needed it at mm. the moment we don't I, I've lost my PA um, and now it would it seems preposterous that I ever had one but actually at the time she was flat out I was flat mm. out we we worked non-stop um, and so I'm brilliantly lucky I have a team in the workroom who are almost psychic in their understanding of the styles of what I'm creating and then we have an admin team because everything we do is layered with health and safety more than ever mm -hmm. um, and the paperwork and the finance and all those elements are key to running a successful business and I identified that very early on and I'm terrible at maths and really bad at sums and dates. I have a sort of strange numerical dyslexia that means I get dates wrong all the time. So I'm really lucky that I have support team in the office that always check everything. So I, before a proposal is sent to anyone, they double check the maths, the dates, the spelling, all of that stuff. Um, so that's the way we work it all. And then it's quite formulaic. I create, I meet every client, I create every design, I come up with a proposal and then it's passed on down the line. Mm. And the team help with all the buying and the arranging. And then we have a brilliant support crew who help us put it all on the trolleys, load them in the vans, deliver. Because a lot of the venues we work in, we have a 20 minute, 30 minute get in. I was talking to a client this morning and she's having a dinner in Tower of London and we have 30 minutes to set up a dinner it's only for 35 people but even so mm -hmm. you've got 35 minutes for the caterer to get the tables in up clothed laid us to get the flowers on all of that sort of thing and that's what yeah. we do that's what we thrive in doing is install large-scale installs in short spaces of time are a great adrenaline rush and keep us young Gosh, that probably requires an immense amount of planning and being able to move everything. So making everything before and just putting it in place, really, doesn't it? That's a gosh, that's no small feat, is it? <laughs> we, we are. I'm a control freak. I only employ control freaks. We run the space like a military operation with lists, lists, notes and lists. Everything is labelled and listed. And we love a bit of paper strapped onto anything. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes, you know, you get these these venues where you, you haven't got a lot of time to do anything. And sometimes it's flipping half an hour to unload the bloody van, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so you just need to make sure you've got enough bodies, enough people yeah. who know what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's one thing that really, really stresses me out is time limits. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, so um, I would love to speak about um, your work with the Royals because you you you've done so much work with the royal family um how did that connection come about i was fortunate enough to work in the 90s in london when there was an incredible lady who's now sadly dead called lady elizabeth anson who is cousin to her majesty the queen and she was the first party planner and she founded a company called party planners and would <clears throat> use all her incredible Incredible connections with all the sort of titled people of Britain 
um, because she'd arranged her own 21st birthday and the moment she'd done it, everybody else decided it was the best party ever and could she arrange theirs? And so that was how this sort of snowball developed and she developed a really incredible business. Um, she became a great friend. She was an absolute stickler, um, proper old school. And when I started my business, she found out she'd seen something I'd done somewhere. And again, this is pre-social media. So she'd been in a room and seen my flowers, liked them. So I got the letter that everybody waited to get where you were invited to submit a table arrangement for a lunch at her house. And if she and her guests liked it, then you would be potentially asked to work with her. Um, I was really lucky because the Queen Mother was at the, the lunch she was giving, who, and the Queen Mother was her great aunt. So I was um, able to send in my flowers and thankfully it was an arrangement that both she and the Queen Mother loved using flowers that both of them adored, which <sighs> I didn't know, it was pure fluke. Um, and it was a container that I made, it was a basket covered in damp moss, and I'd wired heads of hydrangea, English hydrangea, all onto it. So it was this big, lovely, it looked like a big hat. And then I filled it with just mixed garden roses. And one of the garden roses I used was one that I still adore called Margaret Merrill, mm. Um, mm. which, you know, Real Flower Company, Roseby grows them. They're just gorgeous. Um, and they were one of the Queen Mother's favourite roses and they were one of Lady Elizabeth's favourites. So thankfully I got the job. Um, so I was asked to work on events and then... There was a time when there was a whole load of birthday parties for members of the royal family that ended in a five or a zero. So they had a sort of big joint gathering at Windsor and I was asked to create flowers for the grand reception room and various other spaces. And it just developed. Um, and it was only ever private parties. And then there was Duke of Edinburgh's 80th birthday and then golden weddings and private parties that took place. And it was always, always private events for the family within Windsor or the Ritz or Claridge's or various beautiful venues. And I was really lucky that on several occasions I got to meet Her Majesty the Queen and talk to her about what flowers she might like. Oh, Just so amazing. It really is. How does it feel? to be a florist for those type of events. I mean, I I know that probably every job that you take on is as important as the next, but that must have just been a real I mean the first the first job you ever you ever did it must have just blown your mind. Was it a stressful or it, it, it was no more stressful the the layers of stress because back in those days the IRA was the big terrorist threat. There wasn't really the sort of international terrorist threat. So even the security was relatively simple and straightforward. Mm. Um nowadays the layers of security mean it becomes a huge process. Um, back then it wasn't so mm. much and you were relied upon not to talk about things to the press you were told what you were doing you went in you did it if you got to meet members of the family that was amazing but mm. it didn't always happen um, and it became I mean the first time I ever met the Queen was extraordinary absolutely extraordinary I wanted to run down Windsor High Street shouting I've just met the Queen because it <laughs> felt so extraordinary um and you know she's this 
figurehead, this icon that been in my all of for all of my life. She's been on my money and on my stamps. And there she was. And I was meeting her and talking to her. And if you told that seven year old boy that was working in Norma's garage that one day he would be doing all of that and all the things that I do now, I would absolutely never have believed you. Um, so it is incredible luck as well as as a bit of hard work, I think. Does it work the same way as with any client that you get invited to meet them and you get given a a brief or has it got to the stage now where they know and they trust you and they just say create something for this event? Um, All clients are a bit different to a certain extent. There used to be a lot of having meetings, talking about things and then off you'd go and do it. Nowadays, everybody bloody Pinterest. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think it should be illegal because it's like crack for brides if you're not. (laughs) Um, And it never becomes the trouble with Pinterest is it's never a single person's decision. It's always made with a girlfriend or boyfriend at your side with another voice. So it becomes this vomiting of images that is that ranges from the classic chandelier over a tree uh, hung from a tree in a clearing in a woodland to a kardashian flower wall to a jeff Leatham chandelier that's just a gazillion orchids to everything else in between um which might be everything that a bride loves but actually she doesn't want all of them at her wedding and they Mm. wouldn't all work at her wedding and now as florists we have to filter and sift and download all of that And beforehand, when there wasn't that abundance of images, you'd get a few cuttings or they'd have a picture that they loved or you would talk about things and it was much more a brainstorming session. And I felt as florists, we were given our position and our creativity much more. Then there has been a sort of spate of everybody madly busy on Pinterest. Now I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where people will come to me and ask me for my opinion and what would I like to create. Um, I still need the validation of a million images to back it up and drawings, and I'm terrible at drawing. Um, But fortunately, my husband's quite good at it now, so he does a few of those. Um, But it is, it's still, it's a real mix. Some clients know exactly what they want. Some clients don't want to know what they want. They just want you to do it. And then there's those that are slaves to the bloody Pinterest, I'm afraid. Mm, yeah. There is a lot of that. And, it, and how about planners and stuff? You must work with a lot of planners. Yes, we work with a lot of planners. We're really lucky to work with a lot of venues as well, mm. sort of unique venues of London and also all around the world. So you get to know the venues, the planners. Um, they get to know us. And also not everybody will like me. I won't like every client. It's horses for courses to a certain extent. So there are, you know, quite often I'll be pitching together with two or three other clients, uh, two or three other florists. Um, And so, do you know what? Sometimes I win the job, sometimes I don't. We all charge about the same for those of us that are doing work of the same sort of calibre that I'm Mm -hmm. doing. So it comes down to personalities, which, Mm -hmm. to be honest, is fine. There's enough work out there. Yeah, I think that's important to know for everybody, whatever whatever level, if you don't get the the job you're going for, it's probably a good thing because if they haven't gelled with you, then you probably wouldn't gel with them down the line, would you? And, and you know, 
you, you, you can. Do you want to pick any of that up because of the annoying phone ring? Or no, that's absolutely fine. We we uh, we quite we quite like a little bit of ad hoc phone yeah, ringing or something yeah, going sometimes on. Sometimes an email pinging in. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. bloody grateful the phone is ringing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's sometimes it's a dog. Sometimes it's been known to be my children. You know, peacock. We had once <laughs> peacock. Yeah, yeah, these things these things happen. Um, so I, mean, I think it's really important. It's a really important point that you make, Jess, is the fact that, and it's one of the things that I stress when I speak at colleges, is that you need the trouble with, especially with social media, it sounds like I'm having a real downer on social media. I'm not, I love it. But people do, especially florists that are starting out, new small businesses, a lot of the images that are seen on Instagram that become iconic or become something that is so liked by so many hundreds are so curated and mm. are so unrealistic to the actual world of running a floristry business where you're making money that in a way it's slightly duplicitous because you're going to be sent those pictures by clients who will want you to create something along those lines. And that's an image that someone spent three days curating, acquiring the flowers. It's been lit professionally with a professional backdrop. The props were sourced by three different people. You know, all of those images are not the spontaneous creation that most florists actually are doing on a daily basis. And so it becomes something that's almost unattainable if you're a new florist starting out. And I always say, just snap away. Make sure there isn't a coffee mug in the background. Make sure the ashtray's been moved. Yeah. There's one of those. <laughs> Tidy the background, but let it be real. And let it be real things that you're making, that you're proudly making and sending out. Because those are the things that will chime with your client base. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that will help you build your business. Don't just try and slavishly replicate something else. Because it will never be as good because it won't be spontaneous and also chances are you won't have those resources so you just need to have some confidence in your own work and as you say if you don't win every job that's great because actually you don't need every job even though it feels at times where you really do mm. because some clients just aren't the right fit and it doesn't matter how you try and squeeze your self into the tube of toothpaste they want you to be if it's not going to work it's a recipe for disaster yeah, you end up getting to the wedding day or the event, don't you? Going, oh, I knew I shouldn't have taken this one on. It's been yes. awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We've all done it. Yeah, I find it really interesting how how when you're talking about the florists that are coming into business now, that they are having to cross a lot more hurdles than perhaps you might have done at the beginning. I mean, like you say, the social media they have it has pluses and minuses to it, but we are completely flooded by this it, too much inspiration all of the time, and therefore a lot of the new florists coming into the industry are they expect themselves to go from brand new florist to like high end you know, florists, you know, selling all of these tens of thousands of pounds of the weddings, because that's what we're being flooded by all the time. Yeah. But it is really important to, to nurture the new, the new breed of florists to make them understand that there is hard work that goes into, you know, from, from your beginnings at seven mm. um, to where you are now, the amount of work you've had to put in, you can't just get everything like that. You yeah. with a flick of a switch. Um, and that's why we've we've kind of started this podcast, really, to let people know that there's a journey behind, you know, at, at all of these business owners are people. They're yeah. not these, you know, these crazy celebrities or these, you know, 
how can I explain it? They're normal people behind these businesses, normal people with normal struggles, you know? But it's also about um, finding your level. Like, Mm. Simon, not every florist needs to be as, uh, you know, high status and and as big a company as as you I think um I used to really go oh I should be doing this and I should be doing that and look at what they're doing down the road and everything and then you know you get busier and busier and realize you can't cope with it because of everything else that goes on in your life so I think you are very inspirational but I would Mm. never want to be as as busy as you and yeah I think it's in it's good for young florists to know that they should just set their sights on what's manageable also I think they need to remember just do you yeah it's one of the things that we tell all our contestants on full bloom because quite often when they come along initially you can tell that they're almost thinking they're trying to second guess what do we want to see what can I show them that I've seen that I love that they think I'm going to love and in actual fact I want to be shown something I've never seen before Mm. how exciting is it that's one of the things that I love about being a florist is you can you know if I give 20 florists exactly the same flower content they will each if you hide them away and don't let them see one another they would each potentially create their own unique thing which is so Mm. exciting because that's where we draw inspiration I don't want to see another you know the slightly I hate to use it but you know the that wafty, if I see another bridal bouquet with a hand-dyed ribbon trailing off <laughs> two cafe au lait, a piece of sanguisorba, three carefully chosen garden roses, one of which you know will fall the moment it's moved. And there's a little cheeky cornflower in there, <laughs> and a seed pod. You know, really and truly, those gorgeous, sexy images where the bride is in a clearing and she's got some beardy, beautiful husband. Yeah. <laughs> not real. <laughs> and also, you can't make money doing that work. If you can yeah. count the flowers in the vase or in the bouquet, you can't charge enough for it. Yeah. It's just not commercially viable. And so many new florists think that's what they need to be creating. They don't. Just because it's the thing at the moment, show me the next thing. Yeah, yes, show the next thing. I had a, a conversation with a, with a bride the other day who started going on about gypsophilia, and I said, I'm not doing it because you'll be able to date your wedding photos by the gypsophilia, and everybody else's wedding flowers will look exactly the same. So I said, if you want gypsophilia, uh, you can add it yourself. I'm not putting it in. <laughs> Because, yeah, that, that was a trend. Jip balls for a long time, wasn't it? And so yeah, I'm quite, yeah. glad, oh, yes. quite glad that one's kind of yeah. filtering out. I'm hoping that Pampas grass is going soon. So am I. Yeah. Yeah, so am I. I'm, you know, I've had so many inquiries for Pampas grass and it's just, it's everywhere, isn't it? And, look, and it's it's a look, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, I, I did a wedding with Pampas grass and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. Um, but it, you know, I'll be honest with you. It ended up all in my hair, all on my clothes, absolutely <laughs> everywhere. Well, that was two years ago, though, Vic. Remember? Oh, yeah, it was two. You know, yeah. we had a we've had a whole well, it's, pandemic. It's so. actually yeah, two and a half years ago. Yes, yeah. that's very so true. there you go. That was when it was height height of fashion. Height of fashion, but yeah, pampas grass. And I'm glad. Let's hope that Cadbury's purple doesn't come back either, because oh. that was a baddie. That was a real baddie. <laughs> <laughs> Cadbury's purple and ivory. Yeah, You're going to get those it. for next year now. You're definitely yeah, everyone's going to come. Listen, I, if it's Cabra's Purple, I'm your gal. 
So, Simon, your floristry business to me sounds like an like more than a full time job. It's it's very busy. You've got a lot going on. Yet you manage to write books and do so much on the television and Chelsea. I'm so jealous that you get to do so much at Chelsea. That must be amazing. So. I know you said you're a control freak, but are you a real workaholic? Is your idea of a, of, a, of a holiday to go to Chelsea or do you ever get a break? I do. I normally, normally if I, ordinarily, if there wasn't a pandemic, I'd be in Scotland now. Um, my husband's family have a house on the west coast of Scotland. And normally we find that there are very few weddings that take place in August working in London, working on large scale events. The moment the posh schools break up our clients or leave, they're all off and they don't come back until the first week of September. So in a pre-pandemic world, August was always a really quiet month when we would probably not even have an event. Um, and we would have been rammed through May, June, July, and we would know that September, October were gonna be busy too. Um, so I used to take, I was able to take five weeks off. I would take the last week of July and all of August off and disappear off to the Scottish Highlands and sit in a damp house on the West Coast overlooking a sea lock, going for picnics on the beach every day in the rain. Um, and that's, that is my, that's how I enjoy relaxing is immersing myself in a bit of wilderness. Oh. That's good because honestly, I don't, I don't know how you fit it all in. I was just imagining that it was it was just a, a never a never ending never ending job. But you but you seem so calm and relaxed about about your your work and your your floristry. How do you manage to? Is that just your nature, or do you think it comes with experience? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's my nature. I'm not a I'm not a panicker I'm not a loud panicker if I'm terrified I'm silently terrified <laughs> um, and I have an incredible team and I've been really lucky that for 20 something years as I've grown the business I've had an incredible team um, mm. that's been the hardest thing about the pandemic is not having my comfort blanket of my team around me as much mm. as not having the work because apart from anything else we all become like a family mm. um, and I think you get used to the scale of what we do. I know, you know, my, my team always do the panicking on my behalf now. I know it'll be brilliant. I know it'll be amazing. I know we'll get it done because we always do. They're the ones that sometimes think, oh, bit of a white knocker ride. Are we going to get this done? And I'll walk into them sometimes and say, oh, we're going to do this. Now. They're like, what? Yeah. old what? Um, <laughs> But I'm just really lucky because I have clients that give us the budget to facilitate us being able to do extraordinary things. And mm. that is what I absolutely adore and thrive on every day. Oh, well, as well as all of this beautiful um, floral work that you do, you do a lot of television work as well. And we absolutely loved your um, documentary about the flower market. Can you tell us a little bit about that if pe for people who haven't seen it? Yeah, it was called the world's biggest flower market and it was made for BBC Two, I think probably about four years ago, three or four years ago now. And it was me and Cherry Heath 
beautifully co-presented it. And I was lucky enough to be able to go to Alzmere and see the flower markets happen and then go a step further back out to Kenya to really discover and look at and witness the journey that our flowers travel on. Um, and at a time when I think sustainability is even more current, um, it's actually quite an interesting thing to go and look at roses being grown in Kenya, where roses grow with such ease and the Kenyans are all born with the greenest of fingers. And it was something I was really interested to go because I did think it was going to be turning up at a battery farm and it was going to be chemical-tastic and really, really not a brilliant environment. But actually, I was amazed that two of the farms I visited had um, welfare status and were fair trade status and nearly all the growing that was happening out there by the time I was there which was two years ago was hydroponically so they weren't absolutely plundering the locality for water and it was giving incredible work and revenue to a part of the world that otherwise apart from growing French beans weren't growing much else um, and roses grow like a weed in Kenya and the only real major issues they have are shipping them, transporting them. And at a time when there were busy flights, back and forth commercial flights, they went in the hold. There weren't mm. often that many planes that were purely put on for flowers. So it was going in the holds of passenger planes um, and it was giving employment to hundreds of people that wouldn't otherwise have had that work. And so it was fascinating to see that. And it it's still now an interesting argument because if you're growing roses in a hothouse in Northern Europe, the amount of resources that you're using, the heating, the lighting, mm. almost outweigh the carbon footprint of flying them in from a country where they grow with ease. Mm. And also you're giving employment and revenue to an area where arguably there isn't so much employment and revenue. So it's a really difficult one, but it was a fascinating one to discover. And mm. also just to make me think golly where do all these flowers come from because I don't know about you but you ask your wholesaler you place your order for five eight ten thousand roses or whatever in across the space of however long where do they all come from and is it a never-ending supply well it seems it is yeah, yeah. It, was it was so interesting and yeah what I absolutely loved about it was how many people knowing that I was a florist normal general people were mentioning it to me oh it's just the most interesting because people have no idea hmm. no idea at all and it was just so lovely to I, I just find it really interesting that there's so much more florally stuff on tv now and it's so much more accessible by everyone to give them a little bit of an insight into into what our industry actually does it's, it's great that there is gradually a little bit more. I mean, we're mm. always so excited that we get a bit of coverage during Chelsea week and it's exciting mm. that it's going to be a September Chelsea this year. Um, so that always feels great, but I do, I'm still surprised that still there isn't a more contemporary version of a gardening show on TV um, that appeals to people that don't have rolling acres. I mean, I'm mm. lucky I sit on the cut flower and, advi and houseplant advisory group for the Royal Horticultural Society. And I talk at various events that they have. 
And I always I, I keep saying we have to talk about growing, not gardening, because not everybody mm. has a garden, but everybody can grow. And I'm lucky. I live in London with a tiny garden, but everything's grown in a container. And a lot of people don't even have that, but they've got a roof terrace or a balcony, a fire escape, a bit of an outdoor window ledge where you can grow and you can actually plant and understand and nurture and enjoy having a few herbs and a few flowers. And because mm -hmm. it is something that people have such little understanding of where all these things come from. Mm. Sounds we, like a TV show in that. I would, well, absolutely. You know. <laughs> yeah. And we followed you on your journey over lockdown in your garden and everything. And, and that was that was a real that was a real joy to see. And you even brought brought some of your garden into the garden museum for British Flowers Week as well, which was yeah. beautiful. You tell us a little bit about how important it was for you to have that outdoor space um, and to be in your garden throughout throughout that kind of weird lockdown period. Yeah, I came back into the UK in, um, I think it was about four days before the official lockdown was announced. I'd been in Los Angeles filming season one of Full Bloom, it had to stop. I'd come back to the UK whilst I'd been out there, I'd been having to write emails and redundancy notices to some of my team because suddenly my entire business that I'd been building up for all this time was just crumbling through my fingers. Um, and I remember standing, it's going to be hard not to cry saying it, I remember standing in the kitchen watching the news and the announcement of the furlough scheme and I just burst into tears and thought, thank God it's a lifeline, we might, might get through this. But that was just the start of it, wasn't it? Because, I mean, it has just gone on and on and we're still now talking in August of 2021 and you think what we've gone through. And so at that time, so back in sort of March, April, May, I felt utterly redundant because I had nothing to do. The phone wasn't ringing and my purpose in life was planning and plotting and creating events. And I had a team of 14 whose mortgages had relied upon me. And I was just thinking, I can't give up. I've got to do something. Um, and my husband always knew if I had a bad email because I'd go and immerse myself in the garden and lose myself. And it is a literally, it's a tiny, tiny garden. Um, but I would just go out and sow some seeds, poke around, do whatever. And it was sweet pea sowing time and tomato sowing time. So I thought, oh, I might just film doing it and edit it because I knew I needed to practice doing a bit of editing on my phone. So I did that. And then I thought, oh, that was all right. So I posted it and suddenly it got a few likes. And I thought, oh, I might do that again. And then I thought, well, I might do it live. And it just developed into the Lyset Live that happened at 3.30, Monday to Friday. And as much as anything for me, it made me go and brush my hair, shave or at least wax my moustache, put decent, respectable clothes on my upper body, which was the only, <laughs> part, the only part visible, and go out and present as me, work me, not me sitting in a trough of despair or me thinking shit, how are we going to get through this? Mm. Um, and it was as much, I mean, and so many people have messaged and written and that I bump into that have said, oh my God, it was amazing. I so loved it. It became part of my routine. Well, it was as much for me as it was for all mm. of them. 
It's yeah, it's been an awful time. And I think about the time that you were releasing that. I think I'd been okay up until then, hadn't I, Vic? And then I hit mm-hmm. my pit of despair and everything went went a bit bit pear-shaped and I was all I was all emotional. And I loved seeing your um your your little videos and you know, I kind of made the move from floristry to growing during the pandemic because like you my husband pointed out to me that I'm only ever happy when I've got dirt under my fingernails and I'm outside. <laughs> he yeah. said, he said, the weddings make you stressed and miserable. He said, but growing things makes you really, really happy. And so I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And I feel like gardening has saved so many people and it's been written about and talked about every, and you know the garden centers have never properly closed they were able to, to to deliver stuff and so for people that had never gardened before and had a small courtyard garden you putting things into lovely pots and showing mm. how they were growing was so nice and when we walked into the garden museum I went oh that's Simon Lysis garden because all of your pots yeah. all there it was lovely it was lovely so yeah well done well done for keeping sane I think because it's it, well yeah, it's well awesome. done to all of us for keeping sane really whatever method we chose whether it was another bottle of wine or another <laughs> seeds it sort of worked so far or both yeah or both. <laughs> both yeah mine was a lot of gin and a lot of packets of seeds yeah, yeah. so going on from talking about uh the the flower market and then and then gardening in it and you are a massive advocate for the covent garden flower market why is that market so, so important to you? And I know you've written a beautiful book about it, which I have at home, but I'm not at home. So I haven't got it here. And it's so, so lovely. It's a real insight into the market. But where did that passion for that particular market come from? I've always bought my flowers through flower markets. So when I first started and was doing weddings for friends up in the Midlands, I would go to Coventry Market or Birmingham Market. And I just immediately loved the fact that you're talking to the man that knows about the flowers that you're buying or you're talking to the person that knows more about the raw material you want than you do um straight to the horse's mouth and that was what I loved and it's all I'd ever done so when I came to London and came to New Covent Garden Flower Market it was just beyond amazing because back then in the sort of late 80s early 90s it was heaving filled with flowers the flying dutch trucks didn't really come over then so it was basically all the flowers that anybody wanted in britain came through the wholesale markets and then gradually gradually the dutch the flying dutchman came and then of course online buying started but for me it's still everything i do really is about the person i'm connecting with and being touchy-feely with the people, with the flowers, with the raw materials, and just seeing that abundance of flower and talking to the wholesalers that have much more knowledge about any of that plant material than I ever will have, and being able to tell them and ask them and say, look, we're doing this event at this date, I really want this rose, I know that they're never as good at that time of year, just they are such a fount of knowledge and information and even now the ease of buying online would be you know it would be so easy we wouldn't have to worry about vans and driving to market in the mornings but I just cannot cannot do it I need Mm -hmm. to get immersed amongst the plant material and amongst the people that are selling it and my fellow florists that are buying it and the sense of community within New Covent Garden Flower Market for anyone who's listening and has not been go 
go. Tell me when you're going. I'll give you a tour and buy you a baking salmi. It's so mm. amazing. It is just inspirational. The flowers, the plants, the foliage, and the people that sell them and the other fellow buyers are just a joyous group of people to be amongst. And yeah, they so have been very, yeah, I've been very yeah. lucky to, um, I, I never really bought at market before. Um, I bought at local, local wholesalers. But um, since we've, since weddings started back up again, I've been popping up to market and I'm very lucky to be friends with um, Liz at Blue Sky Flower as well. And she has, um, she's kind of taken me on tour and introduced me to some people. And there is such an enormous buzz um in the market there's a real it, there's a real energy isn't there yes. and i've found myself going up there a lot more and one thing that i have said and i've said it to you jess is i wish it it's a way for me it's it's quite quite a quite a way i would love there to be more really really brilliant um flower markets there's 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 a few around us but it doesn't have that it doesn't have the energy. It doesn't have, it doesn't hold the kind of stock that excites me, but I just wish there was more of it regionally so that we could all get involved um, and have those connections. Yeah. And have those real connections with the people we're buying the flowers from. Exactly. And online just doesn't cut it for me. I don't, it absolutely, it feels so cold. I can do it on Amazon to buy things, inanimate stuff, but for any of my flower and plant material, I really need to see it and touch it and talk to the people that are getting it in for me. And also they become invested in what I'm after. So it's in their interest that they supply me with fabulous flowers because then I'll be happy. Then we win another job and it's good for all of us. So that's that. I love that synergy of it. It's also um, probably more important now more than ever because they were very hit by the pandemic because work stopped and it is kind of like being able to buy from multiple um wholesalers at the all in under the same roof and and they're all they're all a small business aren't they they're all you know we're we're supporting real people rather than a a click and collect or click and deliver service yeah yeah Yeah. it's just the buzz as you say Vic it's the buzz of being amongst all those people, the level of energy in the flower market is extraordinary. And if you're ever feeling slightly hungover or a little <laughs> bit jaded going in at half past four, five o'clock in the morning, that goes like that because suddenly you're in, it might be because you've managed to score a coffee and a bacon sarni quite early in the day, but it's also just you're amongst people that are so passionate about the same mm. stuff that we're into. There's a lot of banter and I like an egg bagel at the cafe, I must say very very nice (laughs) bubble and squeak and tomato sandwich is really good too oh right i need well i I do need to go to market to get um to get things quite soon it's it's things like all those lovely tall birch branches isn't it Mm. that just transform your arrangements that's what that's what i'm going down for can we talk about bafta because you do you do the flower the florals for bafta every year i used to do them i haven't done it for a few years now obviously we've not had any of course any dinners but yeah so that was always a fun one because quite often we're given the themes of the five nominated films and asked to interpret them and so I used to work alongside Amanda Davis who has AD design and would do the the dinner and then we would come up with sort of crazy strange amazing decorations to reinterpret all sorts of films so it's always been fun they've always been big and 
brash and it's that sort of little kiss of Hollywood coming to London. So it was great to do. I love that. And you probably you've you got pretty much creative uh creative freedom on that apart from using your themes and stuff so you might that's quite nice as a as a creative to be able to really just take a theme and just run with it I love having a theme sometimes where mm. I really enjoy work a lot on bar and bats mitzvahs and for anybody that doesn't know those are the sort of coming of age ceremony for boys and girls around 12 13 14 and so quite often it sounds like we're gender stereotyping but it's true quite often for a girl she might have a specific theme and it might be a color palette or it might be disco mirabolli or makeup or music and quite often for a boy it's football 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 <laughs> quite frequently parents don't want to immerse themselves and all their friends in a room that's just heavily laden in footballs. Um, <laughs> so I love the challenge, you know, the Harry Potter themed bar mitzvahs, the Candyland themed bat mitzvahs, all of those give me a theme and I'm very, very happy. Sometimes it's a colour, sometimes it's an actual theme, but they're great because, gosh, we can come up with such spectacular, ridiculous things. We had a creativity themed bat mitzvah once. We made vases out of wax crayons. We made vases out of Lego. We, this girl was into every type of craft going. We made enormous balls of wool out of carnations atop six foot tall knitting needles that stood in the middle of the table. It was just the best fun. How cool. How cool is that? That sounds amazing. Yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. (laughs) Oh, so... Simon, we can see your full bloom on, you can do it on more four at the moment. And is it, so it's HBO that's made it. Where are you watching it, Vic? You're doing it on I'm actually watching it on Sky because I series linked it. When I knew it was coming on, I series linked it. And then, um, as I say, there was a a slight scheduling change. So it stopped recording it. But what I'm now going to do is go on to my, onto more four on my streaming on my, on my laptop. And everybody can get your current book, The Flower Market Year. And I noticed there's a link to that on your your website and on your newsletters and everything that come out so they can do that. And we'll be seeing you later on in the year on Chelsea, I imagine. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Indeed, yes. So what else is is coming up? What's the next big thing you've got coming up? Well, it's exciting that there are weddings and parties and dinners happening again which is good and it looks like slowly slowly a sense of near normal is starting with some events it's certainly not back to that usual capacity but that is all exciting and fun there's a few projects that I've been asked to be involved with that I'm quite excited about with uh, one with a fashion brand Mm. um, and one with a perfume company so that's fun and also there is rumour that season three of Full Bloom might be happening next spring. Amazing. <gasps> well, we're very, very excited. We're very yes. excited for that. Thank you both so, so much. I feel really honoured to have been asked to join you both. We feel honoured, honestly. <laughs> and, you know, there's been some stuttering and stuff by me. I'm a little bit starstruck by you. Um, but it's honestly, we are absolutely thrilled that you agree to come on. Yeah, oh. honestly. We've been wanting to ask you for ages and I was just too nervous. <laughs> Golly, I'm I- 
I didn't realize I was so scary. It must be the mistake. No. no, you're not scary, but you are. You are. A, you know. You are. You are a national treasure, as Jess said at the beginning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we feel honestly so honoured that you're that you're on our podcast, yeah. and we can't wait for you to be the season finale. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us and for such a wonderfully inspiring chat. We've popped some links into the show notes where you can head straight to watch season one of Full Bloom. And also a link there if you'd like to go and purchase Simon's wonderful book, The Flower Market Year. So that's it for season four. So our season finale, thank you so much for listening along and also always for such wonderful feedback. It means so much to both Jess and I. So take care for now and we'll be back for season five soon. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Girl Flower Podcast. Please subscribe, share and review on your podcast provider and help us to reach out and connect with other florists growers and enthusiasts.